0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the
1: time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I wanted to, uh, Patrick, would you go ahead and come on up? Patrick has something that uh, he was, I think... We talked about this uh, w- with the men's group last year, but uh, Patrick has something that God's shown him and he wanted to share this morning, so I just want you to make him welcome.
0: Sorry, I'm a little shy at first, but once I get started, I'll be okay. Uh, March the 26th of 89, It was Easter Sunday, and I went to church, and I got saved that morning. Well, I got baptized that night and joined church that day. God's let me be able to to go to my first mission trip. I got to go to Israel. Well, uh, I hadn't even been saved a year yet, and I got to go. It was a pretty awesome trip. Uh, the Mount of Olives was where our hotel was. Uh, every, every time we ate, uh, we seen the Eastern Date. Uh, went on a boat ride to Sea of Galilee. Got baptized in Jordan River. Uh, they was, uh, <clears throat> we were at the Sea of Galilee and we got to read the Beatitudes there. Well, uh, I was walking along the the sea there, and there was a catfish trapped in a net. Well, it was still living, so I went over there and I let it loose. You know, little things like that. I mean, this was the 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 water Jesus walked on. You know, it, it, it was it was pretty neat. But when i got home from the trip i wanted to write something about it and i didn't know you know i've never been a poetic or anything like this but uh i wrote a poem and this is this is what it says but after the poem's done i'll, I'll give you a story about brazil too okay not long ago we went to the holy land and there we worked in bethlehem the church that we helped was so strong for there the lord knew it belonged behind the church was shepherd's field in which our lord was born for he came to die that we all could be reborn blessed are the people that get saved For the Lord God of Israel has gave according to the riches of His grace, so we sinners can have a heavenly place. On the hill He died, He submitted for us, for only in Jesus we all should trust. When it was finished, they laid Him down. A few people in the city was confound. They had seen on the third day that the stone had rolled away being that death could not make him stay he now has went to prepare us a place which is called heaven everlasting life we the church's people are waiting as a wife soon we will hear Gabriel's mighty trumpet when it sounds and we all should look up to the east to see our Jesus breaking through the clouds. Amen. I never wrote that like it. That was it was a God thing out there. That wasn't me. But uh, I was... It, it was a blessing to get to go there. But uh, I walked where Jesus did. And it's for real. And, uh, you know thank you lord for that okay uh august the 4th of 99 i moved to brazil and i was there uh ah maybe four or five months well uh they wanted me to the the team come down and they had to go to a little city down river from where i was at about 250 miles well uh they couldn't get all their luggage on the plane, so uh, they wanted me to ride with the boat for the, the the bags. I said, okay. I said, how long will it take? They said, well, you'll be there in eight hours. I said, okay. So, well, this was a oh, little long boat, but it wasn't very tall. I guess the ceiling may be this tall. Okay. <laughs> well, Uh, So I was like the first one to get there. We done put the bags on the boat. And we, uh, I I had an air mattress, so I, I brought one down with me. So wherever I was, I had a bed. You know, it didn't matter. Well, anyway, I seen a good spot for my air mattress, so I went there and put my stuff. Well, all of a sudden, these people started coming and getting on the boat. Well, there's hammocks everywhere this is what they when they travel on the river on the boat they sleep in hammocks well i had to almost crawl to get out or to even get in front of the boat well uh, so we're, this is going down river 250 miles well uh, they were stopping at little cities dropping off stuff well, I got out, and I helped them, you know, get get stuff out of the boat. So, Because they said we're supposed to be there in eight hours. Well, it ended up being 24 hours. Okay. Well, I get to the dock where I was. Well, the guy that was with me, he said, do whatever you have to do to get the bags to the hotel. I said, okay, I'll do that. Well... So we get all the bags off the boat. They're on the dock. And there's a little incline from the the boat dock. And uh, so I've got one eye on the bags. I'm walking up here to see if I can see a truck. Well, there was no truck. All I seen was a little two-door Ford Escort taxi. This was it. Nothing else. I said, okay, I'll make this work. Well, we, uh, so I motioned for the guy to come down there. We started loading the bags up. And I had some rope in my, my backpack. And, uh, well, we loaded the, the back seat, loaded the, the little trunk. Then on top of the trunk, we put in bags. I tied it all down. I got all 17 bags on this little car. Well, the little car was... St- Uh, sort of uh, struggling a little bit to get up the the little incline, but once we got up there, it was all level, you know. So, uh, but that was, uh, I got the bags to the hotel (laughs) 24 hours later. Yeah, 24 hours later. But uh, I got to do some pretty adventurous stuff, uh, things like this. Can I share one more or you we, uh this was when I first moved there, too. They wanted me to go build a church on the river. Well, uh, where, where we had to go was in Montacau, Peru. Well, that's about 80 miles outside of Manaus where we was living. Well, the... Uh, just a second. So we... Loaded, all the, loaded up the car, and we had to carry all the the equipment because they needed the generator, and I had the generator. So we had to carry all this equipment down these set of steps that was made in the dirt. Well, we get it there, and there's three boats. There's one pretty good-sized boat and two canoes. That's all that was there. I said, well, is that our big boat? No. <laughs> it was the two little canoes I said, and I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm looking at these canoes and I said, how are we going to get all this on there? Well, the Brazilian that was helping me load the, uh, the boat with material, we was loading a generator up. Well, he, sl- he loses his balance. Well, so he jumps in the water. <laughs> well, I've got one arm on the generator. Well, I, I was able, I got one foot wet, but I was able to get it stabilized well, this the motor to the boat or these canoes was like a lawnmower engine with a long prop, and that's, that's how they, uh, the motor this. Well, so the, there's four of us there, two in front and two in the back, and we got all this gear. Well, it had just turned dark, okay, there's no lights out here or nothing where we're at i mean this this pretty place well the brazilian guy gives me a rope he said give me that rope so we're crossed like an x to and i'm holding this rope and he's holding this rope well that's what's keeping the canoes together okay well i had a good grip on my rope because here we are traveling up to Monocaparu river pitch black dark and i'm just praying lord don't let us flip, you know, because if we flip, everything's gone. I mean, you know. Well, anyway, we get there and we unload all the uh, stuff to inside the pastor's house. And uh, this really stuck with me. I didn't see anything because it was pitch dark already. I did, I wasn't able to see, you know, what it looked like outside. Well, that morning I woke up. And I looked outside. This place was beautiful. I mean, we're talking like a Gilligan's Island looking (laughs) thing. Well, I opened up my Bible, and uh, it turned to Acts. I was at the uttermost parts of the earth, and I thought that was pretty neat. You know, God let me experience that, but... It was. Uh, I just wanted to share this a little bit and thank y'all.
1: In case you don't know, Patrick um, uh, spent was it ten years, right? Almost twelve years in in Brazil, and so well, he's got some experiences. And you know, we've been we've been studying the Book of Acts on Wednesday nights, and uh, we. You know, the book of Acts traces how the gospel began in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then it's, he said, God says, I want you to take it to the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth. And I'll tell you what, no matter where you can go in the most remotest part, 250 miles up a river of Brazil, all oh, the Holy Spirit's there ready to meet you and work through you. Amen. Praise has got no place on this earth. So, so. I think um, when he was sharing uh, uh, about Israel, it's because he was standing there and they read the sermon on or the, the beatitudes, right? And we've been preaching um, on the uh, uh, beatitudes last Sunday. Uh, this today, I want to continue with the sequel of the beatitudes. Just jump right into the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very uh, uh, famous sermon. You know, for many people, they consider the Sermon on the Mount, which you'll find in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to open your Bible there, we'll get there eventually. But a lot of people think that, that this teaching that Jesus did there on the Mount that day was a moral code that, that we need to maintain if we're going to do it for right living. You know, if we're going to be right, if we're going to be holy. In other words, what do I need to do in order to be holy? And some people would say, well, you got to do the Sermon on the Mount. And so to them, the Sermon on the Mount just becomes this list of things we need to do if we want to stay in God's good favor and graces and make heaven. But I don't think that's quite the point. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. So on the other extreme, others have said, well, Jesus came and he was preaching to the Jews, which is true. He's preaching to the Jews and he was teaching pure law, which I don't know what pure law means exactly, but he was trying to communicate the true intent of the law, no doubt, but But their attitude is he was just trying to show the Jews that they could not possibly ever live up to the demands of God. And even though they thought they were keeping the laws, they really weren't. They were still missing the mark. They were still coming short. And, you know, I think there's some truth in the fact that it did that. But then they go on and they say, but he was talking to the Jews and we're not under law. So the Sermon on the Mount has nothing to do with us. And I don't think that's true either. I'll I'll explain to you what I think it means. Here's what it was. He wasn't teaching like he was teaching the intent of the law, and it did show them that they weren't making the cut. But if you would think of the Sermon on the Mount as the kingdom manifesto, He is there declaring the principles of the kingdom of God, this kingdom that is coming with Jesus. It's invading the earth with Jesus's arrival. This is how the kingdom works. It's radical. It's upside down. It's completely different than anything you've seen before in the earth. And this is what Jesus came to bring. In the book of Luke, Jesus begins his public ministry Uh, By going into the synagogue and reading out of the book of Isaiah. They hand him the scroll. If you remember the story, you can find it in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. They hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He opens it up and he reads. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled the scroll up. He handed it back to the attendant. and Everybody was looking at him and he said, these words are coming true right now right today, right in front of you. That was how he proclaimed what he was going to do. And that was the basis of his kingdom work. It was the basis of what he's bringing to the earth, the setting the oppressed free, the recovery of sight to the blind. And in many ways, Matthew uses the Sermon on the Mount to establish what kind of things Jesus will do. We read about the Beatitudes last time, blessed are the poor in heart, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers. And I said that those are the kinds of people that God is using to bring about what he wants to happen on the earth. When he wants to invade a country, he doesn't send in the tanks and the bombs and, and the rockets. Believe it or not, he sends in the peacemakers. He sends in those who will, will mourn, those who are hunger and hungry and thirsty for righteousness and right living and justice. Those are the people that he uses on the earth. Violent revolutions are, are not something that Jesus endorses. In fact, if you would read the Gospels, you would see, especially in the book of Luke, you would see that he's constantly trying to talk the Jews back off the edge because they're wanting to take up arms against Rome. And he said, it's going to, it's not going to end well for you. And, and they ended up resisting and they ended up being destroyed. See, Jesus's kingdom is not of this world, but it is in this world. And it finds expression through his body, through his people on the earth. That's you. That's me. That's Patrick in the uttermost parts of the earth. (laughs) Amen. So Matthew introduces Jesus' ministry here, beginning with this kingdom manifesto, this discourse. It's three chapters long, the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about the policy of the kingdom that he's bringing. So it's not just a list of things that we need to do to be holy. He's not giving us things to do if we really want to be sure about keeping the commandments. He's not telling us what we need to do to go to heaven when we die. What he is doing is he's describing something. He's describing the kind of life that we can live when the kingdom does its work in our hearts. He's explaining to those who are under the Old Testament law what the intention of the law really was. But what they couldn't enter into just by keeping the law. He's describing the kind of people he will use to demonstrate his kingdom on the earth. A few years ago, um, I don't know, it was a few years ago, not in, probably a year ago or two, whatever, whatever, last year and a half, that's what it was. Uh, I dug green Kim a garden. <laughs> and uh, it was right when the pandemic was setting in. And we were all getting quarantined and everybody was staying home when everybody was going to Home Depot and Lowe's because those were the busiest stores of the time, if you remember. And you couldn't rent a rototiller when well, she went this garden. So what I do? I turned it with a hand a shovel, man, just a spade shovel. I did all the work, man. I went up there and removed all the sod and I turned all the soil. And I'm telling you what, the next day, my knee was hurting. It was horrible. I was in pain. I was limping. I was doing everything I knew to do. I was, you know, icing it and resting it and elevating it and heating it. And it was a lot of pain. And so what did I do? You know what you do when you feel something like that. You start going online. <laughs> you look for information. I'm going to the, you know, WebMD or whatever it is. I'm looking for a site to find a description that matched what my knee felt like. Right. Look, I didn't need somebody to tell me my knee was hurting. I knew my knee was hurting. I needed a description of the symptoms so I knew what was going on in hopes that I could find a solution. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing something. He's describing you know, he's not offering the Sermon on the Mount as a prescription. Of what you need to do to go to heaven. He's describing what your life can look like if the Holy Spirit's working in your life. He's describing what kingdom life will look like when the kingdom is, you know, he says the kingdom is within you. When that kingdom is in your heart and it's expressing itself through you, this is what your life can look like, the Sermon on the Mount. You're not trying to keep the Sermon on the Mount to to go to heaven, but you're 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 allowing the kingdom to give full expression into your life. And the things that we'll read about and then following uh, three chapters are exactly that. They're evidence of God working in your life. You know, don't get, Jesus offers real solutions, but don't get the solutions mixed up with the diagnosis. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, to tell a sinner to stop sinning is its almost like just telling my knee after working that garden to stop hurting. It's hurting, something's wrong. Well, just stop, it's hurting. The only way that you can do that is if the spirit of God is at work. Right. And when the spirit of God is at work, there is the power to make the sinner a new person or make the knee a new knee. <laughs> and if you guys remember, um uh, actually, that's what happened to my knee. I came here on on a Wednesday night and I was limping trying not to show it because I'm the preacher and I'm not I'm wanting to be in faith. But I had finally resolved after a couple of weeks of just pain that I'm gonna get, you know, after I preach on Wednesday night, I'm gonna ask y'all to lay hands on me and pray for this knee because it's hurting. And we've seen everybody else. Y'all got your prayers answered. I need my prayers answered. So I don't know who it was. It must have been Pedrina who was the prayer getting all the prayers answered. I'm gonna get her to pray for me. Um, so Wednesday night I preached and we prayed and and I was ready to say, I remembered, oh, I'm going to get my knee prayed for. And all of a sudden it doesn't hurt. I mean, that night it was healed. (laughs) It was healed. Praise God. So I'm a testimony. I know we've got some miracles happening. I've experienced them, but my knee didn't hurt anymore. It's not even come back. I think it tried to come back a little bit that night and Rinkin was like, resist it, resist it. And I did, and and it went away, and I had not had problems with that knee since. Of course, I've not dug a garden since. (laughs) Maybe I'll use the other leg if I, no. No, but but, uh, where God is at work, see, he offers real solutions that are real changes. And by the way, if you don't come on Wednesday nights and you're available, come on Wednesday nights. We have a good time. We're we're uh, we do Lord Russell, don't we? It's a little it's it's unscripted sometimes, unstructured, but we usually end up gathering around and praying for things. And uh, I'm excited about um, it's one of my favorite times of the week. I just love to be uh, in agreement with 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 you guys, praying for things and seeing God working among us in our church and in your families. So, uh, Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's describing something. He's describing how the people in the kingdom live. He's describing the revolutionary way that the kingdom works. It's different than how things work in the world. He is describing the true intention of the law, but ultimately he is describing the work of the Spirit of God in the life of a person who has surrendered to him. That's what he's describing. So let's begin. Last week, like I said, we begin with the Beatitudes. And uh, the Beatitudes uh, are heaven invading earth. This is, this is how God brings his kingdom. This is how he's the people he's using to advance his kingdom today. But today I want to look at the sequel, the next four verses. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13. I'm going to read 13 through 16, and then we'll just talk about it for a few minutes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, if you want to get saved and you want to begin a relationship with God, you really only need to understand a few things. You need to understand that the world is messed up because God gave people freedom, called free will. That's the pro- That's that's why uh, evil was able to enter the world. People chose evil, and people still choose evil every day. So free will messes up the world. It's not God. Why do we, we blame God for everything that happens? But He gave us free will. Okay, if He didn't have free will, bad things wouldn't happen. Because where God's will is done, bad things don't happen so that's the first thing we understand number two we need to understand that evil has touched all of us we've all been affected by it we've all been affected by this coming into the world number three we need to understand that god has provided a way of escape through jesus's death and resurrection and number four by calling on god and trusting in what he did that we can be saved from this world system and we can have a place in him so that's what you need to know. It's simple, isn't it? Praise God. Just receive that, you know. But if you want to get into study in the Bible and understand what it means in its context, you do have to understand one more thing. You have to understand Israel's place in God's story, because if you don't understand how Israel fits into the whole thing, you can get confused. We tend to think creation God created the world with the fall, Adam sinned and humankind fell, and then salvation through Jesus. One, two, three. But the real story works like this, creation, the fall, Israel, and then God's work through Jesus, because God was working in the earth through one nation called Israel. That's why Israel is is, uh, important to Christians as well as to Jews. That's why Patrick got to go to Israel and see the places where Jesus actually walked. When he came, he came to his people. He came to that. I mean, he put his feet on the ground in Israel. He walked those roads. I mean, he walked on that water that Patrick got to see. How many of y'all have been to Israel? Anybody else besides him? I'd love to go. I'd love to see it. But uh, it, it was a real thing. But the story does it just when you start reading the Bible and studying it, some things just don't make any sense if you don't understand that Jesus came to the Jews, that, that he came without Israel. And so that's why I keep talking about it. It's not like we're, we're glorifying Israel or anything like that, but we do have to understand their place in God's story in order to understand sometimes what the scriptures are saying. You know, Jesus uh, came to Israel. They were the keepers of the promises. They were the nation that he was working through to bring about his plan. What was his plan? His plan was that he would reach all nations through this one nation, Israel. He's always had the whole world in his mind from the beginning. When he called Abraham, the father of Israel, he said, uh, I will bless in you. All nations will be blessed. So his plan has always been to reach the whole world. And even the Jews knew that when their Messiah came, he would not be just the king of Israel, but he would be the king of the whole world. So God's always had the nations in mind, but Israel has a special place in his working and his dealing with people on the earth. Uh, you can, I, I like how, it, how John sums it up in John chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. Listen to what it says. Uh, this is the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, and it's, it's talking about Jesus. He says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Here you see creation, right? Point one. Yet the world did not know him. Why did the world not know him? Because they were fallen. Point two, the fall, free will, they fell. He came to his own and his own people did not not receive him. That was Israel. He came to Israel. They did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God through what he did on the cross. This is salvation. You see how it fits together? And it says, it goes on, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We're born of God. So Jesus, he truly is. When he's given this sermon, he's speaking to Jews. He's speaking to Israel when he says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. See, Israel was supposed to be the salt of the earth. They were. This was the nation that God had chosen to be the light of the world, to stop the decay and corruption that was in the world. But the problem was Israel was acting like everybody else. Instead of being part of the solution, they were part of the problem. And God chose Israel to deal with Adam's sin, but... The problem was Adam's sin was in everybody, and they just couldn't. So Israel had lost her saltiness, and the light bearers became a part of the darkness. And Jesus said, if a salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Do you know what Jesus is doing here? He's signaling the destruction of Jerusalem that's coming. You know, that city on a hill, Jerusalem is that city on a hill. You know, it's built on a hill that failed to be the light of the world. He's signaling their destruction. Look at, um, look at Luke 21 and 24. He's prophesying very specifically in Luke, the destruction of Jerusalem. And he said, they will fall by the edge of the sword. They will be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. He's telling them you've you've not you've not been a light, you've not been salty, and this is what's going to happen. It's pretty serious words, is it not? You are the salt of the earth, he said, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. He continues, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That was Jerusalem. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to the house. They were supposed to shine and be a witness to the nations. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, those in my kingdom will be glory, bring glory to my father by doing good works, by being a light, by being salty. But I want to tell you, we are the people of the kingdom. We are the people of the kingdom. We are those who have been rescued from the darkness and brought into God's kingdom. Look at Colossians 1.13. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Been transferred out of devil's kingdom into God's kingdom. Now, that's, that's really good. <laughs> that's really good. Our citizenship now is of heaven, right? That, that old kingdom has nothing to say to us. When we seek for justice, we don't go to the old kingdom. We go to the new kingdom. I don't need street justice, social justice. I need God's justice, right? That's who I look to for justice. That's who I look, that, that's where I plead my case. That's where I look to for help and support. My kingdom is the new kingdom, kingdom of heaven. And we're, we, we are supposed to be the light of the world. Look at Ephesians 5, verses 8 and 9. It says at one time you were darkness. You were darkness. You were not just in darkness. You were darkness. You were part of the problem. But now, I love but nows, don't you? But now, I mean, something's changed. It means what I just said a while ago is not the same as what I'm about to say. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That's your job. To be children of light. So the Sermon on the Mount, it is for us today because it describes the kingdom of God and God has included me and you in his kingdom. He still needs light bearers on the earth today. He still needs people who are salty to stop that corruption in the world. You know, they didn't have refrigerators back then. So they had to dry it, jerk it, salt it, something. (laughs) And salt would stop the decay stop salt would stop the corruption and we have a job to do to be that light of the world see what Israel should have done Jesus himself did he came and he did what Israel failed to do but you and I have been granted a place in him we are in Christ that means his work is my work so Jesus is the light of the world that means we're supposed to be letting his light shine through us So the Sermon on the Mount, then, what does it do? It describes the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer. The Sermon on the Mount describes us. What I read there in John, it said, To all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. What's it say in verse 13? Read it again. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, we're, we're, we're included in this not because we're Abraham's descendants. We don't follow Abraham's bloodline. We're not Israel's bloodline, but what? We're born of God because God did a miracle in our heart when we came to him. We're not Abraham's genealogy, but we were born again by the power of God. And that makes me and you salt and light in the world today. And the Bible has a lot to say about this phrase, good works. Come on, everybody say good works. Let's say it again. Good works. Say works. <laughs> Come on, let's get used to saying it. Works. It's not a bad word. <laughs> the church is so afraid of talking about works because we don't want to get into works salvation, right? But the Bible has a lot to say about works. There's a lot to say about works, a lot to say about good works. You know, leaders completely stay away from demanding anything from anybody. But Jesus said, we're saved unto good works, right? Right. Look, in the Sermon on the Mount, the light that the world sees is what? It's the good works that his people are doing that brings glory to God. Good works. That's the light. It's the good works that we get to do that brings God glory. Think about that. It's how we help the poor or minister to the sick or love one another and pray for one another. How we help the downtrodden, how we set people free from the power of hell. Those are the good works that we get to do that brings God glory. Look at that Ephesians passage with me. Ephesians 2 it says for grace by, by two, uh, 2, 8 and 10, 8 through 10. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, there it is, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, you're saved by grace. You're not saved as a result of works, but you're saved for works, right? I am not saved. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to works. I'm not working to be saved. I am working because I'm saved. Right? Right? I mean, you can go to the sinner and you could say, if he was theological like us and he knew church language, he would say, I'm not sinning because I'm lost. <laughs> no. He would say, I'm not sinning because I'm trying to become lost. I'm sinning because I'm not saved. <laughs> That's what he would say. Does that make sense? <laughs> and, and and the saved person would say, I'm not doing works to try to get saved. I'm doing works because I am saved. You know, we do what we are. Right? And so um, what the works that we do, look, it says that, that we are, uh, he has prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. The works that we should do are what we do in cooperation with God. We're not supposed to be out here just doing them all by ourselves. We're actually doing them in cooperation with God. Listen, we are actually supposed to be doing the very things that God were, that God would do. Those things that God would do, imagine this, if God had a body on the earth, what would he do? Those are the things that we're supposed to be doing. And why? Let me ask you this, does God have a body on earth? Who's the body that God has on earth? Then those are the things that we're supposed to be doing. The church is his body. But the key is, listen, to let the Spirit fuel our good deeds. They need to be done in the Spirit. We're not supposed to go out and just try to do everything with our own effort, but we're to minister with the strength that the Lord supplies. Because why? We're actually ministers of the Spirit of God, not just a bunch of rules. And, re- you know, people already think that we're all about rules and regulation. We're not, we're about getting you life. We're about getting you connected to God and then letting God have the freedom to express himself through you. That's what we're about. Because the Spirit gives life. And the oil of the Spirit will energize our good deeds. Right? Look at the parable uh, in Matthew 25. Go to Matthew 25, starting at verse 1. This is the parable of the ten virgins. And uh, they use the word virgins in the Bible to mean just unmarried virgins. Unmarried women. We don't use that word so much like that anymore, but that's what it, they just assume that unmarried women in their day were virgins. That is how God made it. That is His order of things. But uh, it's a parable of these ten virgins who they took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. So obviously these are some type of bridemaid bridesmaids here. It says five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. How many of you know oil, a lamp is no good without oil, right? Right? You can can only burn a wick so much, you've got to burn oil. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. It says the bridegroom was delayed and they all became drowsy and they slept. All of them fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. This is a picture of Jesus coming back for his church. Patrick was talking about the church being his bride on the earth. This is Jesus coming back. But the thing is, as the bridegrooms were waiting or the the virgins were waiting for the um, wedding celebration, they fell asleep because he was delayed. You know, I I grew up in Christian America. I've been hearing about Jesus coming for a long time. You, just, you couldn't imagine it getting so bad that, you know, it's things look so bad that we just expected him to come anytime. But it's amazing how bad things can keep getting. <laughs> I feel like there's a delay. I feel like in some ways this parable describes America. Because one, we've been preaching that he's coming and rightly so. But as, as the bridegroom is delayed, I think the church is just absolutely fallen asleep. I think we've lost our passion. We've lost our oil, our zeal for, for doing Come on. Why should Eve, you know, time should be on our side. We've got the spirit of God. You know, you give us 10 years, we should be able to turn this nation around. Why does it have to keep on getting worse every year? You know, God's promises are true. If we hadn't been just interested in our own, you know, uh, uh, just self-seeking our own comforts. And if we'd been interested in evangelizing the world, we could have got it done by now. I'm just saying we have the research. I can reach the world right now through this. It's crazy. The world is just, I mean, go into all the world. I don't even have to leave my house to go into all the world. Half the world is in my house when we're talking to people on the other side of the world. It's amazing the technology that we have today and the ability and the money. And, and you know, we've become so, so just celebrating our own ability to communicate, but then we don't have anything to say. We need to communicate the spirit of God. We need to be on fire for him. So if you read the rest of the parable, the the people, the the virgins who ran out of oil, they're saying to the others, give me some oil. Ours is going out. And they're like, go out and buy your own. And when they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and they missed them. They missed the opportunity. Come on, we've missed opportunities in America. Let's not miss any more. Let's not miss any more. You know, I used to fish a lot. Anybody like fishing? When I was a kid, my parents had a little cabin on a lake. And so we'd fish a lot. And, uh, you know, I remember we'd go there, we'd catch them and we'd clean them and we'd grill them and uh, we'd eat them. But, you know, I got to a point over the years, I know, got to the point over the years where I just liked to fish. I didn't really want to go through the mess of cleaning them and eating them. I just liked to fish, you know what I mean? I just liked to be out there, right? So, uh, you know, I would catch and release, right? <laughs> Go ahead, catch them, see them, I and you catch, dump them back, you know. I became so bad, though, I eventually got to the point where I didn't even care if I caught anything or not. <laughs> Don't even mess with me about, you know, taking it off the hook. Just let me sit out there by the by the lake and just watch the bobber float. <laughs> There's something that's really great about that, isn't it? But, you know, the funny thing is you go to the bait and tackle store and you're, you know, you're getting your leaders and your bobbers and your hooks and stuff. And you're talking to the guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's, you know, what's the best kind of bait for catfish? And you remember you're talking. It's like as if you really cared about catching anything. <laughs> At that point, you're just talking. I mean, you know, you are throwing a bare hook. It doesn't really matter if you don't want to catch anything. So, you know, but what if, what if my, whether or not I ate that day depended on what I caught? Uh, and now I'd be a, a whole lot more serious, wouldn't I? Go to the bait and tackle store, pretend like you really <laughs> care about catching something. Do we go to church like I'd go to that tackle store sometimes? Have we become really good at talking about how we're going to catch the lost, how we're going to save the world? <laughs> but maybe we've lost the seriousness and the urgency The people are dying all around us. It's time to get serious, isn't it? But here's the thing. I want to give you this idea. What we need to do is we need to let the oil of the spirit energize and fuel our good deeds. Okay. A good deed can literally it can be anything. Think about it. It can be anything. It can be just caring for a loved one. That's a good deed. When I see how you care for a loved one of yours, I I glorify God. OK, a good deed can be, you know, we went to a, a Zach's church up here, um, Living Hope and helped hand out boxes. And that's coming up second Saturday of every month. I want our church to, to be faithful and, and help them hand out boxes because why? That's a good deed. You can show the love of God. I can see how you care about how people are eating and, and people in need. And I glorify God helping at church like so many of you do. I mean, well, you guys, I mean, I'm careful about what I ask you to do because everybody shows up and helps. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But good deeds. They can, going and visiting. Um, uh, you guys know the, the women's group all knows for sure. But uh, Monica over in the extended care facility used to be a member of this church, had an accident. She can't get out. You guys take church to her. That's, uh, that's a good deed. That's awesome. I'm, I mean, I'm blown away when I heard that they were just the other day going over there to visit her. I, I was thrilled, man. That excites me. You know, Jesus said that even if you give a cup of cold water to a Christian, you'll be rewarded. So a good deed can be every anything, but the key is to do all that we do through the Spirit. That's what makes it a good deed that glorifies God, doing it through the Spirit, Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So God has this grace that expresses itself in all these different ways, and you've been given a stewardship. You've been given this grace, and you're supposed to use it to serve one another. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. We're not supposed to be out there saying our own opinions. We're just supposed to be given that kingdom position. That's what, they, that's what people need to hear. One who ever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. That's the kind of serving that'll make a difference in the world. God working through you, God energizing you to serve. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Look, you can go out and do big things on your own. I mean, it doesn't bring glory to God when you're just doing it, <laughs> when you do it in his name. When you do it through his strength, and when you do it in the witness of the Spirit, it brings glory to God. And that's our job. So listen, here's 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 my my closing thought here. I got this lamp. Oops, it's going to work. Set it there. Okay. I got this lamp. See, we've been given. He's got oil. I've got oil in my lamp. <laughs> I've got oil in my lamp. It will be burning. <laughs> See, the Spirit wants to come alive on the inside of us, right? I didn't check my matches before I came. Oh, there it is. There's my lamp. Look, okay. See, the Spirit has deposited Himself inside of you. If you're a believer, you have the Spirit inside of you, right? But we live in a body, okay? The thing is... When people come and they see us, what do they see? Do they see him or do they see us? See, the problem has been, we keep saying we're Jesus to the world, but they keep looking at us and they see us. And what they need to see is Jesus. What we need to do is we need to live clean so that his light has the freedom to shine through us. Right? Right? Okay. What happens And pray I don't burn the place down. As, you know, sin gets in our lives. Our own self-interest gets in our lives. Our own opinions about the Bible gets in our lives. You get what I'm saying? And we might have this flame burning inside of us. But now what does the world see? I'm supposed to be carrying this glorious gospel, but they keep running into me where I need to lay my life down. I need to live clean. I need to live holy. I need to quit fighting for my own way. I mean, if every time you come to me, you find my own... (laughs) We were talking about politics, weren't we, the other day? (laughs) I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. But, you know, I I have political views. You should have too. You should not be ignorant. But if every time somebody comes to me, all they hear is my political view, this is what they run into, and they never get to see the Jesus on the inside of me. Are we willing to let God just take this... Do whatever he needs to do with this shell to renew my mind, to allow me to live and think his thoughts and express the spirit through me. And that that will be the energy. That will be what people see as we go out and do good works. Come on, you can do a good work. You can do the right thing and you can do it resentfully. You can do it in such a way that people know you don't want to be there. (laughs) Come on, you can do it the right way or you can do it the wrong way. Right? It's not just the works, it's the good works. What are the good works? The good works are the works right. that are energized by the Spirit of God.
0: Yes,
1: amen. And you know, Rick and I have been talking a lot about it lately. You know, the best thing that you can do, the first best thing that you can do is get full of God yourself.
0: Right.
1: Get connected to God. Do whatever you need to do to come to a place where you can get your prayers answered. Right. Right? Because that's supposed to be normal Christianity. You get your prayers answered, then you can do some good for others. Yes and it shouldn't take forever right but start living and then I've got cleaning up more and more and more so that when people come we don't have this junk in our lives that keeps them from seeing
0: the gospel we don't
1: have this gossip we don't have opinions we don't have sin what do I have I have the Holy Spirit
0: right. let me give you
1: some love I mean from it. God. I mean They're supposed to see Jesus when they look at us. Amen. And we need to be careful that we don't lose our saltiness. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nothing's guaranteed. I want to close with this verse Revelation chapter 19, 7 and 8. I, 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 we're on a marriage theme today, guys. I'm sorry. It's like I didn't plan it. If I'd have planned it, I would have made it made a bigger deal. But here's another wedding in the Bible it says let us rejoice and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made himself ready herself ready Patrick I had no idea you were going to say that this morning but that works talking about him waiting for his bride and it says it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is what can you say, say it with it me righteous deeds of the saints Come on, let's not shy away from doing works, but let's do them in the power of the Spirit, and let's do some good. Amen? Yeah. Come on, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this word. Lord, I ask that you just lock this word into our heart. Lord, as you're speaking to us right now, drop ideas. Lord, speak to people, Lord, those things that, that uh, you would... Uh, that you have prepared for them, each and every one of us. I don't believe that they're all the same works necessarily. We're we're a diverse group here. We've got different gifts and callings. There's a varied grace from you, Father God, and uh, we will probably express these in many different ways. But what I'm asking you to do, Lord, is just to open up our hearts and open up our minds right now so that we can see the the works and the kinds of uh Good deeds that you have called us to, that we should walk in them and labor together with you and allow your spirit to express yourself fully in our lives. So I'm just going to ask you guys, just as, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, just take a minute, minute here in the presence of the Lord. We don't have any music and it's okay. Just reflect uh, and listen to your heart and listen to what God might be asking you to do. And it could be starting some new venture. It could be helping somebody else, you know, uh, with something that's already going on. It could be just doing what you're already doing, but learning how to do it through the Spirit. You know, maybe you're already in relationships with people. Maybe you already have entrance into the lives of young people or, or family members. And now just take that relationship and do it through the Spirit. Let the Spirit love them through you. Just whatever god is 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 dropping into your heart right now, just lock that in, seal it, make a commitment in your heart that you will start that this week, and because we're as a church, we're not going to shy away from good works and good deeds and Lord, I just thank you, I thank you for what you're doing, Lord, make us fruitful for the kingdom of God in Jesus name, I pray, amen.